Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. And today it's our annual look back at the movies of 2017. It's the award season is heating up. It's almost over. It feels like it's been going on forever. I am exhausted for Greta Gerwig. But it's a good time to look back at the movies that we loved last year. And I always do my unsung 10 which are 10 movies that is that are on nobody's 10 best list. They're not up for Oscars, but they were kind of good, and I like them. And so if you see them on an airplane menu, you might be like, okay, I'll take a chance on that movie. I'm joined by film uh, aficionados Michael Doherty and Glenn Gaylord. Glenn writes the blog Glenn on Film, and they both um, contribute their moments out of time, like cool scenes in movies, that they will remember their their favorite movies of the year. So it's just us three talking about movies like we did last year. Um, but before we get to that, I want to get a mention in for LifeCast, my new business, um, where I interview people about their lives and create these really great audio heirlooms with music and, and all of the that kind of stuff. And I'm going to New York this week to do several LifeCast interviews, and I've got a few openings. So if you happen to be in New York and you or a loved one, would like to have a cool personal interview. Um, Perhaps it's uh, somebody's anniversary or a special occasion, or you just feel like talking about yourself. Um, Let me know. Go to getalifecast.com and hit me up, and maybe I can see you out there. Or if you're in Los Angeles, that area, I will be back in about a week. All right. Um, That's enough pluggy plug. Uh, Go to DennisAnyone.net. You can see stuff that goes with the uh, podcast. Sometimes I post pictures and fun things like that. You can email me. You can donate to my virtual tip jar, which helps me cover the expenses that come with doing the podcast. Um, That's always really appreciated. And um, like the Dennis Anyone Facebook page. That would be a cool thing, too. So without any further ado, here is our annual movie wrap-up with Glenn Gaylord and Michael Doherty. Hey there, I'm coming to you from the Hollywood apartment of Michael Doherty. I'm here with Glenn and Michael. We're doing our annual year-end film lovers wrap-up 2017. Woo! Yeah, right? The crowd goes crazy. <laughs> so I think last time you guys have your list of, like, what, it, what are your lists of? Because they're not, like, ten best lists. Well, I call it Moments Out of Time. It's a right. steal from Film Comment magazine from way <clears throat> back when. Okay. And instead of doing a top ten list, they would do these Moments Out of Time, which is favorite quotes from a film, favorite shots, scenes, anything that was memorable from a film. So it could be a terrible movie that had a great memorable moment. Okay. And I like to celebrate that because not every film is great, but sometimes there's greatness in it. And you remember it. What What's your list? Just your favorites? Yeah. And I mean, it's not – I don't know if I keep it in order – so much as I just like you would do with the notebook, just right. keep keep it going week after week. And I guess I order it at some point, but then because of the the, the moments at a time part, uh, I, I usually pay I paid attention more this year with trying to get specific things that I could. Oh, I like about. that. Um, I like that. You kind of took a page out of uh, Glenn's notebook. Yeah. I love that. Well, my my list is um, the unsung ten. These are films that are not on anybody's ten best list or on the Oscar list, but that I had a good time at the movies at. And you might see them on an airplane and think, should I give that a look? And my answer would be yes, because there's some some things that are good that that are not critical or Oscar-y movies. So there's that. All right, so let's start. Who wants to go first? All right, Michael. Okay. Yeah, you are. What's okay. 
Throw out a movie. So I'm going to start with a very, 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 very obscure movie that I yeah. don't think very many people actually saw, but it actually serves as a thesis statement for, I think, the, what we all want to talk about. I love that. And it's a little tiny movie called Columbus. Columbus. Yes, which I had missed in theaters. Um, some people liked it. Some people hated it. Dennis right. and I walked out on it. Oh, oh you did? We yes, did not make the, it through. The only movie I walked out of... <laughs> Hang, hang in but anyway, there. we're off to a great start. It's off to a really good start. Hang in there. Okay, so uh, as 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 it goes, it's a story about a, a, a woman who lives in Columbus, Indiana, which is this sort of mecca for modernist architecture. It's the small town. It's got all these brilliant sort of um, modern buildings in it. And she plays this architecture nerd who's longing to get out of the town, um, but can't do it because her mother is a recovering drug addict who's sort of codependent on her. And she meets a a Korean guy played by John Cho, um, whose father is an architecture professor and he's dying or the father's dying and he goes to take care of them. And they sort of meet up and, and walk around and, and not exactly fall in love, but sort of fall in friendship and the the moment that I wanted to talk about was the moment when they're first talking about a certain building. It's a bank with that's kind of a glass structure, and uh, he asks her about it, and she starts naming fact after fact after fact about the thing. Mm-hmm. And he, he he stops her in a very mansplaining way, says, "No, but what moves you about it?" And she thinks for a moment, and then it cuts to inside the building. So you see her on the other side of the glass, and you can't hear her, but she goes on explaining. You see her getting more and more animated. I think the, re- the reason that that moment was so moving to me was that I think it sums up in part what Glenn and I are doing as, as friends and as film lovers back and forth over the years is that we can talk about things on an intellectual level or take things apart technically but I think the conversations that are most enlivening are the ones when we're talking about what actually moves us and so I love that idea yeah so yeah unfortunately I was moved boredom with that (laughs) film and I felt sorry for Haley Lou Richardson who I think is a really great promising actor and I thought she just felt like what am I doing here nothing is happening and I get slow movies but this was like somnambulant fair enough (laughs) it's not for everybody yeah I got I got I think I fell asleep and then I think we left so I don't have a lot I'm not sure it was in that order Uh, I know I know I know so but, but that moment really was but important, I do love and it that. did speak to, to to the way that I think you and I talk about this and stuff. I, I totally agree. I mean, and I remember that moment, strangely enough. We were still in the theater at that time, yeah. and it does, it, it, it does speak to um, whether a film can impact you emotionally or intellectually or both, and we'll see where we land with the rest. Yeah. All right. I love that. Why don't you take one, uh, Glenn? Well, I'm going to start with my... Even though we're not doing a top ten list... Yeah, do whatever you want. I'm still going to start with my favorite film of the year, which is The Florida Project. Okay. uh, The follow-up to Tangerine by director Sean Baker. And I was so blown away away by this film. And I just thought it had a really great, sassy, life-affirming sensibility to it, despite incredibly depressing setting right. with a little girl who's basically neglected by her mother who is you know maybe mature more mature by a couple of years than her own daughter yeah uh, but just there's like little moments in that film that just thought they were so full of life when she's running around the building with her other friends in this motel that a lot of the hidden homeless live in and outside of Disney World 
and she tells them, you know, that door, we're not allowed to go in there. And then she pauses and then she goes, but let's go anyway. And they yeah. run in. And it, it felt like just such like a mischievous film where you just really wanted this girl to like have a better life than what seemed to be ahead of her. And I was just so touched and moved and laughed so much during that film. And it was beautifully shot. Well, those kids had a lot of fun. And, and if I had been able to ask the director a question... I would have said, you know, do you think Mooney, when she looks back at this time, will re- will remember will, will remember the struggle and how the mother, you know, and how the hard stuff, or will she remember that time we had the ice cream and that? In other words, what's gonna what's gonna trump the other in in her memory or in terms of how it affects her life? Because there were there were all those kid fun things that are like the little rascals. I, I know that was one of his touchstones, you know, where they're causing trouble and having fun. And everything looks big and colorful, and and um, a lot of the buildings that they used were like funny looking uh, day glow tourist trap tourist crazy. trap things. But but as a kid, would feel like a wonderland, you know. The the emphasis on the color purple, like the entire building is yeah. purple, and it's so it's this brilliant violet, and it's, you almost look like you can eat it. Um, I love that movie as well, um, and Brooklyn Prince. I think maybe give gave my best. She my favorite so female good. performance. I mean, it's just astonishing what this little girl does. Yeah. Um, and, and the places that she goes to. The moment I would have picked, although I don't want to give too much away, would be the, the ending. When reality finally intrudes on her, you know, kid world. And she's facing being torn away from her mother and torn away from that situation with her friends. And uh, the movie... Uh, jumps from 35 millimeter millimeter to um, an iPhone, and they take this flight to Disney World. Flight meaning that they literally run into it. Um, and the, the question of whether that was consistent with the rest of the movie, and, and does it take place in reality or not? And I don't, I don't, I don't think that it matters. I think what we're saying is that there's a little girl who understands that something horrible just happens and now she has to do everything to sort of bring it, bring her world back to equilibrium. And that was the way that that was expressed. And I thought it was so beautiful and powerful and human. And I loved it. And I think her future is very twofold, just like her mother's. Her mother makes a lot of terrible choices. She's prone to violence yet. She loves her kid. And you see that and you mm-hmm. see her always trying to shield her daughter from the horrible things in life. By making jokes and making things a game and making things fun. And you kind of feel like little Mooney is going to grow up to be very similar. And she's going to have a tough road ahead of her. But she's always going to find the lightness and the joy in certain moments. That's what you hope. Is that that, that her life that she has inside her won't get sort of beat out of her. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Kong Skull Island for a second. Of course you did. I had the best time at Kong Skull Island. It knew what kind of movie it was. It's like super B movie, you know. Uh, Brie, Brie, what's her last name? Larson. Brie Larson, fresh off an Oscar, <laughs> plays a photographer who doesn't take very many pictures <laughs> of amazing things. <laughs> there are amazing things in front of her, and she's like, "Got it, click." She should be click, 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 like clicking. It's crazy, but I thought the effects looked amazing. Like. Those creatures looked kind of amazing, and you could tell what was at stake in the fight scenes, and it had a sense of humor that I thought was funny. Like, there was one guy, I don't even remember exact setup for it, but he he was poised to save the day in a certain way, and there was some kind of, something involved, and you're like, oh, I know what's going to happen. And then uh, one of the animals just knocked him 
off the wall with his tail and he died hitting a wall. Like, it, they, they sort of uh, faked you out <laughs> with a second twistedness. So I, I had a great time at that film. I, I loved it, too. It's cheesy, but it's so much fun. And it, I loved how it sort of pinged on Apocalypse Now all the time. Yeah. And, you know. and I, thought, I thought I get the Tom Hiddleston thing now. I get his sex appeal for sure. So that's my unsung ten. That's a movie. That's a movie uh, film to watch. Yeah, you got to be blonde and in khakis. I mean, that's yes. how you do it. That's his how you shirt, make the, the way his shirt fit, and it was great. Uh, well, then I wish I had seen it with the two of you because I couldn't stand it. Um, that's good. That's that's why we're here. Yeah, um, I just I missed all the fun that, yeah. that you guys must have seen in it. I and, know, and the fact that. Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston, you could have taken them both out of the movie and nothing would have changed. That's true. It's still... Well, okay. It's absolutely true. Oh, we're not saying that this is, you know, a beautiful puzzle. No, but the thing is, I think in those movies I always root for the creatures anyway. Yeah. And the creatures in this one were pretty spectacular. Well, the the one thing I would actually pick from that is the... It doesn't do very much, but there's that gigantic water buffalo... That's like five stories high. That's yeah. kind of just hanging in this lake. That was legitimately beautiful and weird. And, and I thought, okay, that's cool. But yeah. Come for the apes. Stay for the buffalo. That's right. And then have a side <laughs> dish of spider. So that's my Kong Skull Island shout out. Boom. All right. What do you got, Glenn? Um, oh, wait. We go to Michael. We're going this way. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, since since uh, Glenn dropped his number one already, I will drop my number one. Boom! Right. Drop it. Yeah, it's a gentle little sports movie called I Tanya. Love it. Um, it's my favorite movie of the year. I mean, the the fact that I was thinking and f- sort of empathizing and falling in love with a, a woman that I hadn't thought of much since since the 90s right um, is a testament to how powerful the writing and the performances and the direction are and you really come to understand in a Rashomon kind of way with all the different perspectives that it wasn't as simple as the media had painted it as her being this terrible piece of white trash that needed to be run off the off the land and her career which was brilliant and promising um, was completely ruined as a result. Um, I had initially thought about talking about the toward the end when um, they, they've been doing this uh, mock documentary type of um, structure, and at the very end of it, uh, Tanya, played by Margot Robbie, said, looks directly down the barrel of the lens and says, you are all my attackers, um, thereby implicating the audience watching the movie who have been sort of laughing at this in one way or another as being part of the issue. But I thought, no, that's kind of been tried and true, and I don't really need to talk about that because it's been done to death. The other moment is when she, when we first hear her really take off as a skater, and she goes onto the ice to the, the tune of ZZ Top's Sleeping Bag, and it's this 80s metal song, and, and she's completely badass and beautiful and graceful and, and amazing, and it's not at all what the establishment wants her to be. But you feel like cheering that sort of punk soul on. Um, and I, I love that moment. I love everything about this movie. So, Yeah, it's really a tie for number one with me. I think it's phenomenal as well. And I, there are so many moments in the movie, it's so hard to pick just one. I mean, I want Lick My Ass Diane to be a t-shirt, you know, or... You know, I, you know how to do that on uh, Cafe Press. It's very easy. Perfect. Let's you get could it make going. it. Yeah. Uh, or I just loved the young 
Tonya when she Tonya when she is abandoned by her father and she just wails in front of her mother that she doesn't want to be abandoned by him and it's such a crushing moment and that actress who was in the movie gifted this last year as well just I think she really captures Tonya Harding almost better than Margot Robbie I mean there's a vulnerability and a softness to her whereas Margot Robbie tends to play her pretty tough and badass throughout most of it she has her vulnerable moments but this girl to me captured that sort of need to be liked that you saw in the real Tanya at the time. And uh, I thought that was just an astounding moment amongst an infinite number in that film. Uh, I loved it too. And I, I loved that um, it did all these kind of fun narrative things. Like it would, she would be getting beat up and then literally look at the camera and make a comment to the audience. And yet you still felt the pain of the, the abuse, but you also saw the absurdity of it. And I don't know how it worked tonally, but it did. The, the, the thing that moved me is I got this feeling at the end that no matter how good she is, she can never transcend her class. She, or she could do something physically that no other skater had ever been able to do, and it still wasn't enough to raise her above white trash. No matter what she did. She was screwed no matter what she did. And I was listening to a, a commentary recently. Somebody on the radio was talking about this film. And with male athletes... We can give them another chance. Mike Tyson, now you want you to get, get your picture with him. He's fun Mike Tyson. Like, he's a convicted rapist. But with women, that's it. She's, she's done. And it, when they barred her for skating for life, for life? Took her life away. It just... That just seemed... And then when she's begging for it, that scene... I thought Margot Robbie was spectacular yes. in that scene. But it's still... I, the injustice of it. And I was at the dog park the other day. And there was this woman talking about how she didn't want to see it because, and she was talking shit about Tanya. Like she knew her. She, we've got her. We've got her figured out. Everyone's got her figured out. And what I loved about this movie is it says maybe you don't, and maybe you're part of the problem. Well, and, the, the relevance of this film struck me as yeah. far as you call somebody deplorable, they're going to fight back. And that's, yeah. I kept thinking about modern times with that, right? And about uh, how important is the truth in this country because it, it, there's so many different ways it could go, right? To, to, to um, you know, they, they even say it in the movie, you know, she talks about how the truth doesn't matter. Yeah. Everybody's got their own truth. And I thought this film really laid that out perfectly. Yeah. And we got to see the writer speak at this uh, panel at the Writers Guild. And he was great. I loved everything he had to say. So it made me root extra, extra hard for the movie. Yeah. And I think he, he made a, real, a truly empathic piece of work and a, despite all the profanity and the violence he made a really kind movie it's like this is how we should look at people as, as whole um, but I just wanted to say one other thing is that um, I think Glenn, Glenn you had sent me an article in the sort of height of the, the praise for this thing about how um, Tanya Harding's views on, on being a right winger and Trump supporter and likes guns came out and I and I when I saw that without even reading the whole thing just that header I thought it's like the media are trying to take take her down again it's like she she got this sort of reevaluation yeah, and, yeah, exactly. and then the media are like nope 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 not nope. so fast girl and it's just horrific really yeah yeah I mean the movie didn't get a best picture nomination writer nomination director nomination and that it feels almost like it's being punished in yeah. a way as well, and it, 
it's a, a great piece of work. But it got edited. And editing, editing. What I thought yeah. was interesting. It looked really beautifully edited. Right, one and of, it needed to be to make that, that yeah. tonal stuff. Yeah, work. one of the critics called it the Goodfellows of skating movies. Yeah. And especially in the editing and the cinematography, it felt epic. And yeah. it felt like a giant main course of the film. I don't want Allison Janney to win the Oscar. I love her. I've always loved her. I think she's great. I just don't think that's the that that turn that the character just seemed a little one note to me. Like in, com- compared to like Laurie Metcalf, I thought she had a lot more nuance. So there, I, I said it. Sorry, I guess we're gonna pack up and I'd be call happy it a day. With either either one, right? They're both it, great. Either one would be fine. I they're think. both great. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Is it whose turn is it? It's my turn. You did, Itanya. Okay. Um, well, let's let's keep on the ladybird train yeah. right now because uh, that was another one of my favorites. Right. And I, I just was so astounded by um, what a great director Greta, and writer Greta Gerwig is. Um, I've really followed her mainly as an actor, and I know that she's co-written other films before this. But she, and and to hear her speak publicly, she has such a vision and can articulate what she's doing. Where you take what could easily have been just a typical teen coming of age film, and yet infuse it with this really complicated mother daughter relationship, the likes of which we haven't seen since Terms of Endearment, in my mind, and top that off with this just heartbreaking scene with Lucas Hedges, which is what I'll take away from it, mm-hmm. uh, amongst many other scenes, where he's afraid he's going to be outed, and he begs uh, Saoirse Ronan's character, Lady Bird, not to do that, and he just loses it and freaks out. And this kid is great at freaking out. He freaked out at the refrigerator in Manchester by the Sea. Right. And now in this, just let that kid freak out because he's great. Yeah. I love it. And I love Lady Bird's reaction in that scene. Like, she instantly forgives him in a way and is there for him in a way that I could cry thinking about it, actually. So, um, I agree. I love it. I love it. And we, we I'd seen Gre- Greta Gerber talk a few times yeah. post-screening. And what's amazing to, uh, to connect to Glenn is that... Uh, her movie sounds like her, and she sounds like her movie. Like the the, the one to one of creative artistic voice is is bell clear. Yeah. Um. And 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 wonderful. And and uh, even though I Tanya is my my favorite movie overall, Laurie Metcalf really. I mean, she, what she does, it's so hard, it's so difficult, and you you hate her and you love her as 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 Lady Bird does along the way. And the the moment that I would have talked, which, which stylistically was almost um, out of character, not out of character, but um, is there's a moment where uh, I think I think it's when the, the that she put in the financial aid papers. Her mother discovers that, and she's at the sink washing dishes, and Ladybird tries to get her attention, and she completely ignores her. And the way that it's lit is like a horror film. With the way that's like light just streaming through this darkened kitchen, and it's just around the sink. I mean, and it's shot from behind. We don't yeah, see their faces. And, and and it's from a distance, so you can't get in there, and it, you're you're forced to be like sit there uncomfortably while this non-event is taking place. And I thought, wow, does that does that say a lot about human relations, and especially in this movie when you when you want to talk to someone desperately and they just won't listen because they don't know how. Yeah. I was really moved by Lady Bird's confidence and courage. She, you know, sometimes you think of movies where the parents want to talk and the kids are shut down and they won't open up. This was the opposite. Like she was willing to talk and 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 wrestle with all of these issues. And Laurie Metcalf was like, "I'm just going to do the dishes. I can't even look at you." 
That's a devastating scene. It's kind of funny how both Itania and Lady Bird have these mothers who want their kids to understand the sacrifices they've made for them right. and can't get through. And, you know, for varying results. I mean, I think we really can empathize with Laurie Metcalf's character with that struggle, whereas Allison Janney's character is kind of monstrous from beginning to end. But that scene where she tells her, you know, that she's not going to be that, you know, hallmark mom, yeah. that the sacrifices you made for her, that is what she should be thanking her for. Yeah. No, it's powerful stuff. I love um, Lady Bird has more sort of honest, humane laughs in the first five minutes than, like, most comedies have in their entire running time. Like, yeah. from the... It, she just... And she gets her laughs honestly. It's not a joke. It's not usually a funny line. It's the way the... It's the marriage of the character to that moment and the way they express themselves. It's so I, refreshing to see a lead female character in a film such as Sir Ronan's who is just so forward and confident in her interactions with people. Yeah. Typically, the teen star of a film is going to baby talk her way through the film. Right. And no, she is just zeroing in on what she wants. That audition when she does her song and stuff. <laughs> she's so... Yeah, it's inspiring. Like, she, you want to be like that. You wish you were more like that. I think this movie's going to age really well, too. I think people are going to watch it for years when it comes up on cable yeah. and stuff. I thought it was better the yeah. second time I saw yeah. it. Yeah, I love it. And just a shout-out for... Because she's, they're not talking about her enough, is is Beanie Feldstein. She's so good as she, her as friend. As the friend and jo- Jonah Hill's sister. Um, she, she's awesome in it. And it's like, yeah, I would have been friends with her when I was in You high just school. feel like those two girls are friends. The yeah. second they're laying on their backs, eating those wafers and being silly. It's so good. You'll be seeing a lot more of her. What, yeah. What's cool, though, is that, that it has all of these tropes from movies we've seen before. The prom, the dress... I'm from the wrong side of the tracks. It's a little pretty in pink. It has all of this stuff, but yet it's so uniquely itself. Um, and so. also beautifully edited. Yeah. And there, I remember hearing Greta Gerwig talking about how time compresses. Certain things speed up when you're that age and certain things slow down. And you felt those rhythms in the film. And it felt very artistically measured and, yeah. and not slight. Yeah. I love it because it's getting its acclaim, not because of what it's about, because, it, like we said, there's other movies like that, but how good it is at what it is. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it. Sometimes there's Oscar movies where they just get accolades because it's about the right thing, Yeah, and that's not this I movie. can't wait to see what she does next. She's like such yeah. a top-shelf humanist filmmaker, I think. I was looking through The Hollywood Reporter, and there was like four pictures of Greta Gerwig from the last week at this panel and that award, and I started to feel sorry for all of these people that are in the Oscar campaign because they just like... They're just like show ponies trotted out here. I'm just, I'm exhausted for them, uh, but I'm not going to feel too bad for no, them. No, do not feel bad for no. Greta at all. Yeah. <laughs> She's having a great like her The first words of her Oscar speech is, thank God this is almost over. <laughs> right? I hope she doesn't do that. No. Um, my movie next on my list is Gifted, uh, which was uh, Chris... What's his name? Evans. One of the Chris Evans. Chris Evans and that McKenna Grace. Grace. McKenna Grace. And it's about a, a girl that's that lives with her uncle because her mother died. Is that right? Anyway, the, the girl's gifted. The guy doesn't know whether he should put her in a certain kind of school. It looked like everything I would not like in a movie. And I really thought it was, was good. I really liked it. Uh, that's a red boxer or a cable or something like that. That's all. And the girl's really good, the little girl. Yeah, she played young Tanya Harding. Yeah. And she, she's very good. I, I liked the movie. I, didn't, I wasn't as bold over by it as you. 
But, you know, its heart is in the right place. Yeah, I was into it. I enjoyed it. I didn't see it, but yeah. Je- Jenny Slate is in it as well? Yes. yes. Like, I love her. So She's uh, appealing. Octavia Spencer. Okay. Right. I want Octavia Spencer to play an asshole. To just play a huge dick. Yeah. It's never going to happen. No, she will. Do you think? I do. I, I feel I think... like we cast her because... We want somebody nice and wise and, she's, you know. She's now power, powerful enough to get bored with her roles. There you to go. To say, hey, build something around me where I'm a dick. Okay. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> I'm not holding my breath. All right. Um, what's your next movie? Another one of the giant successes, and deservedly so from the past year, was uh, Jordan Peele's Get Out. I love it. Um, which is one of the best horror films in a very long time. And one of the best movies overall that I've seen, particularly on, on race, speaking as a, 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 a white guy who's on the opposing team in this movie. Um, and, but it's about a, a black guy who's dating a white woman played by Alison Jenny. I'm sorry, not Alison Jenny. <laughs> that would be a good movie. That would um, really be a good movie. Uh, no, by uh, Alison Williams. Um, Daniel Kalua is the guy's name. And um, they they go up to meet his his uh, liberal white parents. And it does her not... Her liberal white parents. Yes, her. <laughs> uh, and it, it does not go well at all. And you begin to realize that there may be some sort of mind control thing it's the kind of thing you really should just discover i mean everybody's probably seen it but yeah um this whole mind control thing that 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 that's going on um and what i would highlight actually among all the great things about it not enough gets talked about the actress betty gabriel who plays the the housemaid oh she's amazing creepy Um, when i think of that movie i think of her yeah, and that that wide angle close up with that giant smile, and she just repeats the word "no" sixteen times, I think. And um, she 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 has this argument with 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 Daniel Kaluuya's character about whether she had sabotaged his phone or not. And you see in that close up that she wants to tell him the truth about what's going on in the house. But either can't do it, or she's being controlled in a way to snap back into that glassy-eyed, yeah, um, sort of subservient mode. Um, and she's brilliant, and that was for me one of the the creepiest moments of, of last year. I love the film as well. I what I took away from it, there were some great early scenes where uh, Bradley Whitford as the father to Allison Williams had to show how down with the blacks he is by talking about how he wish Obama could have just been president still over and over, overcompensating a little bit, and how the film felt like um, how black people had to make white people feel comfortable. And to me, that was the struggle in the film, that Daniel Kaluuya's character had to face and realize, I'm doing that, and yet something really terrible is happening here. This is worse than I thought. And I loved Allison Williams' performance. I thought that she handled some really complicated scenes well. The scene with the keys where she tells uh, Daniel Kaluuya that, you know, you, you know I can't give you the keys, right, babe? And she just does things very casually, tossing off horrible, evil things. Can I ask about one moment that I'm a little confused by? I mean, people have seen this movie. If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. Um, when he finds the pictures, it felt like they were he just found them. Like, they were just there for him to find. Yeah. 
So do we feel like somebody put him there to find, or he just happened upon them? Well, he doesn't go looking very hard for them. He no, opens it was the just, door and they're right there. They're, that's very, you know, yeah, like here they are. And I thought, well, maybe balls. it was so. In other words, they were so easy. I thought maybe the maid or somebody had helped him in some way. I don't know. Anyway. I think they didn't care any more than he knew. Yeah, and it, and and yes, it's a little convenient when it yeah. happens. But it's pretty economical storytelling, what you find out from those pictures. Yeah. And that you see that, you know, this family has been doing this over and over again and that it yeah. transcends gender and sexuality. And it's right. pretty cool. I was just wondering if I missed something. Sometimes with movies with, like, I don't know, time travel or body switching or things like that, I miss very obvious things <laughs> and I'm embarrassed afterwards. Yeah. And, well, I... I I also thought maybe I'm reading into it is that leaving the box out like that it it's almost like part of the whole game like they want him to struggle against them before they finally descend on him right make him think that he can get away um, yeah no. all right good stuff well my next film is a ghost story yeah which hey. I didn't get around to seeing until it was on Amazon uh, right I've not and seen I uh, was. Uh, so surprised, so moved by this short little film that has very little dialogue. It's almost like a Terrence Malick film in that regard. Uh, Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara are a couple, and something tragic happens that turns a character into a ghost. No spoilers there. It's called a ghost story. And you just go through time from the ghost point of view of how this ghost is figuring out what's going on, how time is passing, what what are, what are his memories, what are... Uh, the clues that you're looking at that can tell you where you are in the world or time. And it just felt like this epic, beautiful story about finding what's important to you and how that resolves once you find that to me just was startling. There was this beautiful visual uh, expression of that, that it won't spoil, that it happens twice in the film. And I just thought it was this, this really beautiful, you know, quasi-pretentious film, but it's... Not for everyone, for sure, but I really thought it was uh, just kind of a work of art. Lovely. I didn't see it. Did you see it? Yes, that's, I'm, I'm right there with you. And one of the moments that's a real work of art is K- Casey Affleck plays a, a musician, and he writes this um, electronic composition, I think, for Rooney Mara? Um, or at least he plays it for her. And you know what the, those moments in movies when, like, the douchey musician plays his douchey song, and it's like it's really not that good. Yeah, this was one thing. I was like, wow, that's a really, really great song, and it fits with the whole thing. And it was, and it gets repeated a few times, and it was just, just uh, uh, incredible. And the fact that the actor is under the sheet, and you never see him for the entire movie—that that, that's there's something about arti- artistic dedication there because they really felt they needed to tell this story and tell it in a certain way because it's this Charlie Brown type of child version of a, of a, of a ghost with the sheet, not you know what you would normally see in a horror movie. But yeah, it's it's incredible. I it might check be it out. the best way for us to experience Casey Affleck in film from here on. I under really, I was like, you know what? He's starting under a sheet and then he'll just disappear altogether. Is that <laughs> and he doesn't talk. Yeah, <laughs> um, a good move for him post Oscar and. My next movie is Detroit, Catherine Bigelow movie uh, about the uh, a, uh, the riots in in Detroit, but in a particular place. The stuff that went down, and I'd never heard of that hotel or, or what that what went down there. I didn't know the story. It was brutal. It was really well made. It was really well acted. 
And I was really moved because there was a character in the movie who was an artist. He's a singer and had all this potential in the world. And this horrible thing happens to him and he survives it, but his dreams get killed somewhere in there. And he, he, he loses, uh, you know, he loses what, what could have been with his career and his art and his music because of the trauma of what went on there. And that, that, particular thread was something that really moves me so yeah i i, I thought these lists were like all the fun movies you like to watch on i know planes. well this is a movie that didn't i they're, they're more like movies that didn't get they're on on the oscar list mostly but i think they got lost in the shuffle i think that uh, movie in terms of its release and stuff got lost in the shuffle yeah and i uh, thought it was good oh sorry michael uh, yeah yeah i hmm. I have, a, I have complicated feelings about it because sure. I think Catherine Bigelow is um, one of our great modern masters, uh, hands down. And I think that, one, it would be interesting and, and worthwhile to tell a story about the Detroit riots, which really isn't about, which is why I was curious why it was ultimately called Detroit, because it's, it's about this one incident that t- takes place away from that somewhat. Um, and I, I, I think, for me, it was a movie that had one card that it kept playing, which is, let me show you how horrific the black experience is, which is fair enough. But if, if for me, it felt like it just wanted to punish everybody, um, you know, for, for the way that we've behaved throughout history. And, and I thought, well, as an artistic experience... I think I would have liked to have had a more dynamic understanding of of those guys and that situation and and everything that was sort of bubbling up. And they did it too quickly in the beginning with that cartoon stuff. Um, that by the end of it, I was like, I was bludgeoned to death. I was like, I, I can't react to this. Mm-hmm. I want to, but it's it's just numbing. And and if that's her agenda, then 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 fine. But for me, at the end of it, I was like, I couldn't, I, I couldn't do it. I yeah. get it. I understand yeah, it's that. Hard to, it's hard to call it entertainment, but it's powerful. Yeah. And uh, I I also just feel like uh, I, I want a different note from Catherine Bigelow. I think her docu-style has gotten very old for me. Right. And I want her to just compose beautiful shots like she used to with Strange Days. Right. Where she just, she really understood the frame. And this is just artlessly artless. Yeah. To me. yeah. And and she uses genre because it because you could argue that the stuff inside the motel is something like a horror movie, but I almost kind of wish that she would would have gone directly into genre and and made a horror film in the vein of like a Get Out, but her way of doing things to express something similar. The other thing I want to talk about, which really bothered me, is that Will Poulter, who plays the main cop, who's who's the the racist in all capitals. He's the one character that you get to learn the most out of from anybody, with the exception of the He the seems singer. like, when I think of that movie, I think of him and a lot of, he's on screen a lot. And, and, and I kept thinking, if this is supposed to be about what these, these African-American guys went through, why are we spending the most time with the villain? I, it, it was a little, it was off for me, I'll just say that, so... All right, fair enough. Uh, your next movie. Um, well, speaking of Will Poulter, uh, he was initially cast in this movie. Uh, it was a, another delightful little children's film about a clown um, called It. And Will Poulter was initially uh, set to play Pennywise, but he was replaced by Bill 
Skarsgård, and we are better for it because that performance is so incredible and so iconic and so creepy and awful and unsparing. I I just I was beside myself that they got that as right as they did. And I love the movie because it's also really funny and you buy everything with the kids being friends. And but 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 Bill Skarsgård in particular and he he you know he was He's, he, they, people talk about how he did the smile, which is actually his face. Mm-hmm. That's not prosthetic the way that he did that. But the other thing is, um, is when he's has that initial encounter with the little boy in the boat uh, coming out of the, the storm drain, um, when the it monster starts to take over, um, the clown's face goes slack and he almost looks like it's going to come off. And apparently... That was also not a fact that that was Bill Skarsgård doing that. So his thought, the thought that he put into doing all the stuff into creating that character was was amazing. Yeah, so. I think it's going to be the film that we remember from 2017. There's a lot of the Oscar bait that uh, is surrounding it. But you look back in 10 years, I think we're going to look at that because it's so iconic. It's it's such a a, a thrilling. It, it it felt like. Um, his performance re- reminded me of Linda Blair's in The Exorcist mm. in so many ways, in the stillness and the dead eyes, um, that it, it uh, to me, is going to be the one we look back on. That was on my list, too. That oh. movie was pure movie pleasure. I'm like, I was screaming, I was so frightened, and then I was with the kids, and I, I just felt like old-fashioned 80s movie pleasure nirvana, and... Um, all the way everything was done, that scene in the bathroom when stuff's coming out of the sink, it all looked incredible and real. And yeah, it was the it was a great time at the movies. And I'm surprised it's not talked about more at the year at the end of the year, even though it made a gazillion dollars and was thought of as 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 really good. But I don't know. It was great. I guess it's enough. It's it's got enough love from yeah. people. It's gonna be it's gonna be fine. I shouldn't <laughs> I shouldn't lay up at night wondering. Yeah. Why yeah. didn't it get more of a fair shake at the end of the year? Yeah, you're feeling sorry for the wrong horse. I know. But I do regret not going to the It House on Hollywood Boulevard when it was yeah, set I up. That too. Yeah. Um, they had this It House set up, and you could go and I don't know take selfies. I don't know what people did, but of course that's good. all they did. And the kids in that movie were really good. Yeah, very. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, that was so. That was mine. Um, I'll throw another one out there. I liked Good Time with Robert Pattinson. Um, it's these guys getting up to no good. Uh, one of them, Robert Pattinson, has a brother who uh, is autistic, and he's trying to help him. And the 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 actor that played the brother was one of the filmmaker brothers. There's, I guess it's made by brothers. Mm-hmm. I really have my facts here. <laughs> but my, there was one moment near the end where it was a chase scene, and instead of like getting behind the person and follow them, you kind of saw the whole thing from this really high-up vantage point, and it was so suspenseful because you were looking down like it's almost like a board game, and you're watching, and it was I'd never seen a chase done like that, and it was so cool. Because you felt like you could see everything, but you were powerless to affect it or anything. I thought that was great. Um, so, yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, I loved it, too. I know Michael has a different opinion on yeah. you, you did On Good Time? Yeah. We'll say your thing. And then okay. I thought you didn't like it. No. But, uh, I, for, for one, Robert Pattinson is having a great post-Twilight career with this performance, his performance in The Lost City of Z. Yeah. I just think this is really elevating him because he is... 
uh, so impressive. And what I liked about the film is watching him think on his feet and think fast. Yeah. You know, yes, he's a criminal. Yes, he's kind of a bad guy. But he's doing it all to save his brother from a, a hell in a, a facility. And it's, it feels like Dog Day Afternoon in that way, where you're... you're desperate for, people. Yeah. Desperate people cornered are going to uh, do some fascinating things. And yeah. watching him on this one terrible night trying to get through it, I thought was just electrifying. Yeah. I love Good Time. Good. I swore you I told me you hated it. absolutely love this movie, and I agree completely about Robert Pattinson. Um, and... Really, that I think it's the final shot when he's in the back of the police car. Spoiler. Total spoiler. <laughs> it's all right. Um, you don't know why he's in the back of the police car, though. Um, you know what? I have a theory about spoilers. There is so much media and stuff out there that by the time you go to watch something, you can't even remember if you heard a spoiler about it or not. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, thank you. That makes me feel <laughs> I, a little I, better. I, th- I think... It's not like, I don't know, it's not like the direct line from hearing a spoiler to going to watch the movie. I feel like there's too much stuff that even spoilers aren't really spoilers anymore. Yeah, and you could say that really what I just brought up was the end of the movie. It wasn't as though there was some big reveal. It, you right. Know, that I would have been a little more careful about. But anyway, he's in the back of this police car, and it's this great moment of silent acting when you see him through the netting that, that separates the two the front from the back, and he's wild-eyed, and he's kind of happy, and he's a little high, and all of these emotions are running over his face, and and what moved me about that is that, yes, he's kind of crazy, and a sociopath, and he's he's nothing but trouble, but the entire reason he's doing all of this is because he loves his brother, Mm -hmm. and that in one way or another, he may have saved his life, and I, I, that was so powerful. Um, to to see at the end, so yeah, I love that movie. Clint. Yeah, three cheers for our Pats. Maybe I've just always remember you yeah. hating a movie that I can't remember when you liked it. Yeah, exactly. It's like I said, the <laughs> How spoiler. Dare I? People aren't remembering things. Uh, who's next? What do you got? Oh me? Yeah. Um. Well, let's lo- let's talk about one of those other Mr. Pattinson movies, The Lost City of Z. Zed. Or I, Z, if I haven't know. seen it. I want to see it. I have the DVD, but I haven't seen it. It's another one of these movies. Like I'm. Genuinely shocked that it got zero attention at the at the end of the year because it's this big sweeping right it's sort of epic of beautiful epic, yeah except it's a lot weirder and and sadder um, but Charlie uh, Hunnam plays uh, Percy Fawcett who's this English guy um, living in high society who who has has heard tell that there are is a lost civilization that may be quite advanced um, in in the Americas. And he goes looking for it, and I won't say whether he finds it or not, um, but what was so powerful about it is that coming out at this time, when we have a government that is so incurious about the outside world and about shithole places, that here was a movie that said, no, what makes us human and makes us better is our, our need to explore, to, to push boundaries, and to, to make the world wider, and to understand um, more, um, sometimes with, with tragic results. Um, and that is underlined by the final shot of the movie, which I can tell you, I won't tell you who's in it, but there, it takes place in England at the end, uh, in the National Geographic Society. Character comes down the stairs, 
camera pans away from that character and you see through this mirror that there's jungle in back of us that could not possibly be there and then that character turns and walks into the jungle and it un- and underlines the, the sort of human toll um, that these types of explorations, these efforts to make the world bigger and better take on, on, on families and, and, and ourselves, really. It's, but it's incredible. I love it. Yeah, I thought it was a grand, sweeping adventure that actually took its time yeah. with its characters. So I think what may have turned a lot of people off is that it wasn't a breakneck pace. Yeah. It, it still has all those scenes, those amazing adventure scenes. But what I also loved about it was this film could have easily turned into mush every time we were meanwhile back in England you know instead of out in the jungle yet the scenes with Charlie Hunnam and Sienna Miller who plays his wife were so well done and that you know she was really kind of finding her voice as a woman at a time where their voices didn't matter no one wanted to hear from them and you saw the birth of this character arising through those scenes that I thought was just as exciting as watching the discovery happening in the Amazon. And and you get the sense that if she had been able to participate more in all of those adventures, that things may have turned out a a little differently, that she would have been a little more careful about things and and would have been a little more protective, particularly of her son. Probably so. I did not see it, but I did sit next to Charlie Hunnam in Veggie Grill, but I was not (laughs) told that I was doing that until he got up and left and the guy I was having dinner with said, you know that he was sitting next to you? And I was like, no. And he said, Charlie Hunnam. And I was like, ugh. You could have told him you hadn't seen the movie. I know. I could have. I could have. Is it, is it yeah. the one near the, uh, the, the... The Arc Light. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Stars are people, too. Yeah. I know. Um, <laughs> All right. My next movie. Yeah. Is it my turn? Go for it. Yeah. Is T2 Train Spotting. I didn't see it. So awesome. This is... I mean, Train Spotting, the first one... Uh, is one of my all-time favorite films. I just thought it was such an incredible expression of visuals and kinetic energy about heroin addicts that it didn't sugarcoat it. It made it look terrible, but it was also, you saw the attraction. Because people who shoot heroin sometimes do it because they enjoy it and it's fun. And I thought that movie captured both sides of that so well. T2, which is, you know, some 20 years later, is about these characters aging and facing middle age and seeing if they can recapture that glory and while the film was a little slower paced than the other, I still think that it lost none of its visual sense of style. And there, especially in editing as well, uh, there's an amazing scene where Spud Boy is trying to kill himself. He's got uh, plastic over his face and he's shooting up and he's leaning back in his chair. And we cut from that to his chair going over the side of a building. And then we saw Ren- see Renton, played by Ewan McGregor, racing into the apartment and catching him before he falls either to the ground from the top of the roof or just from the chair. And they, they intercut that so beautifully to see this guy saving his friend's life. And it's just, it's going to stick with me, that film. I love it. I didn't see it. I, I, I loved it. I think it's actually, it may be Danny Boyle's best movie since Trainspotting. I mean, maybe there are one or two others, but, but that one I think probably is. And... To talk about the editing and 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 the the photography, one of the moments that I loved, which was a trick shot, but it was still amazing, was there's a moment where um, the sober Renton is coming out of a law office and having met someone from the first movie who has gotten their act together in a very big way, and as he's as they're going down the street, Renton from the first movie runs by. 
in this brilliant moment of, of nostalgia and what you can never, ever, ever get back. And it takes him a very long time to realize that maybe that's a good thing, that you, that the past has to always stay out of reach. But when I saw that, I was like, whoa. So, I'll have to check it out. It's a terrific movie. Yeah. All right. Um, American Made. Like, a group of us went on a Tuesday night at the Cinemark in NoHo, Tuesday night, Six Ducks or whatever, and had a good old time. I think it's one of those movies where it's like this, based in a real story, Tom Cruise plays this guy that gets mixed up in all this stuff, and... And, uh, you know, I guess films like that sometimes take liberties, but it is still crazy to think, like, this happened, or something close to this happened. This is based on a real thing. Um, and I don't even remember much about the story. I just remember having a good time and uh, liking it more than I thought I would going in. Same here. I mean, I think Tom Cruise is at his best when his back is up against the wall. Yeah. And that he's fighting his way through this film so desperately and so winningly. That I went with it, and yeah. it, it, again, it's not the most memorable film of the year for sure, but it just was fun to watch. Right, I think it it succeeded at what it was trying to do. That's what I felt about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I thought it was okay. I love the fact that that when you see Tom Cruise flying that airplane, that's Tom Cruise flying that airplane. Yeah. That's really him doing it. Also, that um, it's the I believe the seven hundred thirty seventh performance. Uh, from Caleb Landry Jones last year. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. He He's was the brother oh, who, who shows who up in the Metallica yeah. shirt with the ripped sleeves yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. like, Tom Cruise, why would you work with this person? He rents yeah. the billboards and three billboards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in a lot he, of he, movies. Yeah, a lot of movies. Yeah. Um, but it's always fun to see. He's the that. new Michael Caine. Yeah. Remember when Michael Caine was in a lot of movies? I mean, this was a long time ago, but <laughs> I was trying to think of who's, who, who else have I thought of has always turned up in way too many movies than feels possible. I, Michael Caine, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> no, but there was a time where she said yes to everything. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, whose turn is it? I'll, I want to talk about Battle of the Sexes. I thought it was really, really good. Love that movie. And uh, deserved a little more year-end love than I think it got. Um, I like the filmmaking, and I like the acting, and... Going in, a lot of people are like, I don't think Emma Stone can play Billie Jean King. And then they're like, oh, yeah, she can. She's good. Um, Steve Carell was funny and brash. and um, I, There were things... I remember that, that, that tennis match happening from when I was a kid, but I didn't know some of the stuff that came before it. Like that there was another match with another woman, and um, I didn't know the, the build-up to it. Um, but I thought it was really good, and I liked the way it was shot and the way it looked. Yeah, it's very sun-dappled. And yeah. I, I love the scene where uh, Emma Stone as Billie Jean King um, and her new girlfriend, Marilyn, played by Andrea Ricebro, are driving the car, and one of my favorite songs of all time, Elton John's Rocket Man, is playing. Mm-hmm. And the sun is hitting them, and the breeze is blowing their hair all around, and I thought, if you're going to fall in love in the 70s, this is it. This yeah. Is this is how it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I absolutely love that movie, and I love those two performances. I love that those that relationship between Andrew Riceboro and, and Emma Stone. And my moment would have been this the scene in the hair salon when they they first meet and they're talking about cutting her hair. Because what was amazing about it was underneath this this rather mundane action was we can't talk about being gay, but we're really hot for each other in this moment. 
We have to talk about how we have to appear to men and to the rest of the world. So being pretty and we're against that, but we're going to do it anyway, but maybe we're not against it. Maybe it's fun to do this. All that stuff going on in this one little scene, but it was, it was so powerful. Yeah. And I like the scene where Emma Stone breaks down in the locker room from all of it. I just thought it was, it was, well, I don't think there was any dialogue and she just, after all of that anticipation and tension and, and the weight of all of that, uh, everything that she was carrying kind of broke down. Yeah, was I was one of those people who thought she was miscast before I saw the film. Right. And that I didn't think she was going to portray the, the, the right level of butchness. Right. And I read an interview with Emma Stone where she said, I didn't want to play Billie Jean King as she is today looking back at her life. I wanted to play her as she was back then. Right. And so there was more of a softness to her. And yet I still thought Emma Stone had that kind of Jodie Foster, tough jaw energy to her that really drew me in, and I thought it was one of her best performances. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, that was one of my movies, so somebody else? Okay, um, I want to talk about one of the small successes of the year. It's an independent space film called Star Wars The Last Jedi. Right on. Did you like it? I liked it all right. Uh, I, I got a little drowsy. <laughs> and, the, and the other thing is, I don't have the lore so embedded in me that so when somebody I forget like oh wait they're sister and brother like I sometimes forget the relationships that make those scenes so powerful for for diehard fans I'm uh, so I uh, I sometimes miss miss some of the levels that things might be working on did you like it I liked it but I'm kind of with Dennis I mean I don't I'm not a big comic book lover fan and so not that I put the Star Wars universe in with the same uh, and, you know, same as a comic book, but there's so much lore, there's so much story that I do forget certain things too. Like I, I never knew who Bob Boba Fett was, and people always talked about that. I, was, I had no memory, so I'm probably the wrong person to talk about it. Although I thought some of the filmmaking was really beautiful in the film. Well, guys, you're completely wrong because it's amazing. <laughs> no, that's great. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad that the. The, 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 I, the, the people loved it. I liked the one before more, but it, the other one was more accessible, I think. Yeah. Or more popcorn-y or something. The, what, I mean, BB-8, that yeah. adorable little contraption. Well, I, 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 one of the reasons I love it so much is because it, Ryan Johnson, the writer-director, I think is after bigger fish. And in one sense, mm-hmm. what he's trying to do is he's trying to challenge everybody's relationships to Star Wars. And so you get guys like you are may not be as much of a fan. All right, well, this is fine. Well, and it had some absurdist humor stuff too it, that it, I that I appreciated, but did feel like a, a, a departure for Star Wars. Yeah, and but that was the other thing. Like the 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 diehard fans, which I'm not there. I'm kind of probably somewhere in the middle between you and and them. Um, were really mad about the way that certain things were handled, including Luke Skywalker. Um, but all of that aside. One of the things that I loved about it was that it looked at the resistance as an actual thing that that uses human beings to accomplish its goal. It's not just about the dark side and the light side, and it, it tried to make it less in less broad terms. Um, and wait, is the resistance the good guys or the, the it's the good guys. guys? Okay, that's what I thought. The first order are the right. are the are the space Nazis. Okay, uh, of of the piece and. Um, there, there are three separate moments that sort of link up together um, that involve the idea of a noble suicide. 
you know, which was a very sort of cowboyish Han Solo thing to do. It's like just plow right into things and, 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 you know, win the day. But there's a character in the very beginning who gives her life, um, to, to, to help blow up this, uh, ship. And then her sister at the very end saves another character's life, um, saying that it's, it's better to do that than to destroy the things we, we hate, to, to save the things that we love. That's not really the moment I'm talking about, though. The moment that was so shocking to me was Laura Dern, who plays the Vice Admiral Holdo, who takes over for General Leia when she's injured, has to get everybody off of their escape ship, or get them to an escape ship off of their the main resistance ship. And when that has been accomplished, she decides to take her ship, aim it toward the First Order Star Destroyer, and throws it into light speed. And what follows is 10 seconds of complete silence in which you get to see this one woman completely decimate this ship and everything and everyone that was in it. And what shocked me so much about that, it was like for a split second, I was like, but there are probably first order people that were just showing up for work. They didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And that's where like, it really muddies the waters about what it means to actually be a hero and to do the right thing. And I think, I think it comes away from that and, and, and keeps it in grayer areas. And that's why I love the movie so much because it's willing to sort of, wrestle with that kind of an issue as well as being fun and entertaining and and all that stuff i like that i appreciate that yeah we love laura Dern when she has a hair trigger temper <laughs> i thought mark hamill was great oh he's amazing because yeah. i think when somebody gets pegged to a role and they don't have a big career outside of it you think well maybe they weren't that great maybe they just got lucky with that thing but i thought he was really good yeah it was a strong performance I yeah thought, as well uh my next movie um is the killing of a sacred deer um, so if you're familiar with... <laughs> Did you see it? No, but I loved how excited you You're the yeah, only one that's ever tee-hee-heed over the killing of a yeah, sacred deer. It's the feel-horrible film of the year, and he's going all yeah. giddy over there. Uh, but Yorgos Lanthimos, who did The Lobster, for those of you familiar with that, with Colin Farrell, um, once again starring in The Killing of a Sacred Deer with Nicole Kidman, um, it's bleak. It's bone-chilling, and there's an actor named Barry Keegan, yeah. who many will remember from Dunkirk this year. He's the kid that goes on the boat with the father and the son, mm-hmm. who um, has uh, has a beef with Colin Farrell and his family. I won't spoil what that is, uh, but he's this very polite, soft-spoken young lad who and ingratiates himself into the family and wants them to behave a certain way and wants them to be integrate with inter- interact with his mom. And there's all these really polite sort of conversations that go on. But then when Barry Keegan's character shows his real cards, it is the biggest gut punch of a scene I've, in any film I've seen this year where he just very quietly lays out what the rest of the film is going to be. And it is a terrible, terrible thing that you have to watch. And it's really funny. It's really, really funny. I mean, it is it is sick and awful and tragic, but it's really funny. Darkly funny. Yes. And Barry Keegan, the, the fact that anybody in that movie kept a straight face the entire time when they're talking about all these horrible things, there's this one amazing scene where Nicole Kidman goes to visit Barry Keegan because she hasn't really had any contact with him all that much. Seen him maybe once or twice, but wants a one-on-one with him. And Barry Keegan is eating this plate of cold spaghetti. And it's the grossest thing. 
And and Barry Keegan gives this speech about talking about how he thought he ate spaghetti, which everybody does of rolling it on your fork. He thought he was the only person that did that. And he found out that that when it wasn't true that everybody did, that he wasn't special anymore. He like broke his heart. And I was like, this I just love this I love that character. I love that performance. And and because I, if I could let you in a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, let me in. Because I have been hospitalized so much from the time that I was a little kid, particularly when I was a little kid, and, and having a, an ambivalent relationship to, to healing um, and, and pain, to see the screws, you know, turn to a doctor and, and how, you know, arrogant and hubristic they can be um, was, was, was delicious to me, so... Yeah. I have to check that out. I have it's, that at home. It's kind of, to me, one of the most disturbing home invasion thrillers since Funny Games. And they're very similar in that our um, antagonist is so polite and so soft-spoken as horrible, horrible things unfold. All right, good. i got to check it out. Um, I have Roman J. Israel, Esquire, with Denzel Washington. It's uh, Dan Gilroy's last movie was Nightcrawler, which my, was my favorite movie of this year. But I didn't see this for a while, and then I caught it at the $1.50 theater, and it's not perfect at all. I could see why it didn't catch on, but I was always interested in it. I, was, I liked the ideas that it was exploring, um, and that made it worth a watch. I, I liked what it, what it made me think about and consider, so I'd say that's worth a look. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of mixed on the movie, yeah. but I love his performance, and... I don't think the word autism is mentioned once, um, but apparently that's that's what he really went after was was that sort of side of the character, and I thought it was really um, powerful in that regard. He's, I mean, he's you can watch him reading the phone book; it'd be interesting. Um, the only thing that I thought was very strange because this has been a pattern of like later Denzel Washington is that. Whenever he gets a character who ends up mired in a gray zone, that character needs to be punished. Like they can't, they can't live in that gray world the way that most human beings, I think, do. He always resolves it by the by those characters being harshly punished, and I just find that a very curious thing that 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 he does that constantly. I don't, I don't know. I mean, never talk to him about his, you know, moral conscience, but I, it's just an interesting thing to know because it was one more in a line of those performances. I didn't see it, but my observation is that there are so many films with characters on the spectrum that have come out in the last couple of years. Do any of them mention autism? There's so many that I, I've seen where it's just never mentioned. It's never specific. Yeah. And I wonder what's behind They're, that. they're called quirky or something. Well, well f- for me, because I try to zero in on stuff like that, is that I think if they do mention it, it's it could be a problem because it's going to end up heavy-handed and they're going to be explaining things. If they don't mention it, there are people that will say, well, he's weird, so he must be autistic. So that is kind of a problem. But I also think he doesn't get up every morning going, I'm autistic. So let me talk about, go through my autistic day. No, he goes through his day. And that I appreciate when they don't mention it. You know, it's funny, though, but, you know, in real life, I know many people who are on the spectrum and they talk about it all the time. They mention that word all the time Hmm. in positive ways as well. And so that's what struck me is that in my own experiences, my own life experiences, people aren't quiet about it. 
So it just it strikes me as this you know spectrum that dare not speak its name. Hmm. I, what I think resonated for me about it was that his character at the beginning of the movie, the way he's been living his life, it's kind of a small life, but it's a life of integrity. And he's very good at certain things, and he does them very well, and, and, and he can sleep at night, and it's all of that. And then things happen, and you see that he cannot, in order to, to make it in the world, he has to give up some of that integrity or whatever. And I've, that's kind of like the message that I took is if you're going to survive in this world, there's no place for that. You're going to have to, you're going to have to, I don't know, sell out or do things that, that aren't right for you, but but, but you're going to get punished for it. There's a no, it's a no win situation. It's kind of a, it's a depressing ending because it, it says there's no place for that. You're not going to make it if you're that person. Um, the only way to survive is to be compromised. Um, I don't know, but I like thinking about those things. And I think that the filmmaker, having seen him speak about Nightcrawler, I think he's interested in those in those ideas, which I think are, are really interesting. And that's an unfortunate message, I think, because the number of people who are hugely successful in this world who are on the spectrum is right. astounding. Well, I, I don't think it's about... I don't even think it's about him being on the spectrum. It's about uh, how he how he... His, his integrity around work and the law and, and things like that. Um, yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's saying uh, if you're on the spectrum, you can't uh, do this. It's that if you, if you try to do the right thing, you're, you're, you're not going to make it. You can't, you can't be that person in this world. Hmm. Anyway, that's, that's what I was thinking about when I was watching it. Um. So yeah, your turn, Michael. I would like to talk now about Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which I had declared at the first when I first saw that it was the 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 most moving science fiction film I think made in my thirty odd years on this planet, and I still stand by that. I think it's better than the original. I think it's one of the most visually and orally beautiful movies ever. I think it's it's it's. It's really deep and it's strange and has really interesting characters. As, as, as a, the most locked-in performance from Harrison Ford in in many a moon, um, but like I said, it was the most moving experience. And and where it really started for me was when um, Ryan Gosling, who plays K, who is a a replicant who knows he's a replicant, so that's not the, a big secret. And he goes hunting replicants, and he discovers that there may be a half-human, half-replicant baby somewhere in the world. And he wants to to find out if he might actually be that baby, or if he can do something about it. And he ends up in in a a laboratory that's been sealed off from the rest of the world, where a a scientist played by um, a German actress, I'm I'm, I'm blanking on her name, she was in the movie Wetlands, um, who her, her main purpose is to create the memories that are given to replicants. And they're having this conversation about the nature of identity and, and dreaming and all that. And at one point, what she does is she creates this memory in front of her where she's watching a birthday party for a little girl happen in front of her with, with kids and balloons and, and a birthday cake with a candle. Um, and she says, I had to make 
my own memories because I've been locked away, uh, quarantined for so long. Um, and I, and I lost it and I, I didn't really key in right at that moment. What had, what, what it was, but again, letting you in, be, I was I was a kid that was in the hospital a lot and 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 felt isolated from from not having a lot of friends growing up, and movies were my way into the world and so that's what that was to me is that even when we're at our at our lowest, we we find ways to be creative that keep us human and and keep us engaged with the world. Um, and I, I thought that that was so powerful. Um, so yeah, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, every shot in that film is a work of art. The actor you're talking about is Carla Yuri. Yes. And she, I mean, if you haven't seen Wetlands, check that out. <laughs> that's a whole different kettle of fish. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> I, when I think back on the film, I will think about her scenes because they are they're very moving. And at the time, I thought the movie was beautiful, but also incredibly boring. And I couldn't figure out how I really felt about it, but it's definitely going down as a really memorable film from the year. And it's, it's, it's just so staggeringly gorgeous to look at. Yeah. And, and to, and to, to say as far as best cinematography for the Oscars this year, I am so happy that Rachel Morrison is the first woman to ever be nominated for that award. And her work on Mudbound is very good. But if Roger Deakins lose for the 14th time in a row, that award, I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's any justice in the world because you could make a painting out of every single one of those shots and put it in a museum and study it. Well, I hate to burst your bubble, but we don't look to the Oscars for justice ever, do we? <laughs> well, I'm just maybe it does kind of feel yeah. like this is it, like for him. Come on, he man. better, he it better get like it this year. Yeah, um, I saw that, but I made the mistake of seeing it at, in one of the luxury lounger theaters, and I was really tired. <laughs> And those chairs are so comfy. It's almost like the sunken place yeah. part of Get Out. And I need to see it again. I didn't give it an honest look. This is a recurring theme with Dennis. By I know. The way. He gets comfy. <laughs> and then he's just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Columbus, it was worth it. I know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So I have a film that uh, hadn't been talked about here today that I wanted to bring up. Because it was earlier in the year. And it, it's another unsung film. Which is a quiet passion with Cynthia Nixon. I thought, I thought it would get more buzz at the end of the year for well, her. For she one, was she, was she is an Oscar away from an EGOT, so this would have been her moment. I know, playing Emily Dickinson, especially towards the end of her life when she was a recluse, and it's uh, just this very slow, methodical film. You know, it's it's directed by Roger Davies. Terrence. Terrence Davies. Right. Roger Davies from the Kinks, right? Um, Terrence Davies, who makes these very sort of quiet, visually uh, precise films, this being one of them. But what really just got to me watching it was Emily Dickinson's character is kind of a recluse, yet she yearns to connect with people so badly, and that when she does, you see the joy seeping out of her, you know, and that she's exuding joy, but you know it's going to be short-lived, because that's not how Emily Dickinson's life went. But you feel so much for her when she's in those moments with this friend of hers who she connects with. They have the same wry sense of humor, and this film definitely has a wry sense of humor to it. Um, And it was just, it was heartbreaking to watch. Mm, I need to see it. And and one of the most heartbreaking moments is that the one character that she seems to keep the most contact with even through the end is, is, is her sister played by Jennifer Ely and they have this little exchange um, after a fight uh, where uh, Emily says how asks how, how can you go on loving me and the sister says because you are so easy to love 
that there was something about the soul of that woman that in spite of all of her trouble and her thorniness that that you just want to kind of take her in and it underlines what a tragedy that was ultimately so. and you see it um i this wasn't a film but i had two uh evenings in a movie theater loving it which was the newsies musical um where they shot the hell out of it with like i don't know how many cameras and they presented it on the big screen and i just was carried away by it and i cried and it's so beautiful and the kids jump around and it's really the best filmed adaption of a stage show where they just film the stage show it's the Technically, the best one of those that I've seen. You felt like you had the best seats you could ever have watching yeah. that because it's impossible to have those seats. Right, and then they, they, they would like the dancers are doing a turn, and you're in the audience, and then they go behind them, and you see it, and then they're still turning, and then they come back out, and and the performances in it are great. Like they were, they uh, I, I was watching a behind the scenes documentary, and like because it was going to be put on on film forever they're like instead of doing two turns there we're going to do three and instead of jumping this high we're going to jump this like everybody was amped up and um i I love the the story and it really moves me and you know i like the newsies what can i say it was the tanya harding triple axel of broadway music thank you i love it so that was something i saw in a theater twice and loved and now i think it's on netflix so there's that all right or we could say that it's the baby driver. The baby of, driver. Of it is theatrical it, experiences. It could be because that movie, from beginning to end, is absolute joy. Um, the the way that he 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 creates that Edgar Wright creates a, a, a musical out of these pop songs that Ansel Elgort, as the dry, uh, the getaway driver, is listening to, which helps him do his job, um, and that. The 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 there's a about a two and a half minute shot where uh, he goes to get coffee and he's listening to um, uh, I think Bob and Earl's Harlem Shuffle and as he's walking along in rhythm everybody's sort of in rhythm with him and then you see lyrics spray painted on the on the wall or on a flyer on a pole and then this is all in one take and he goes into the uh, into the coffee thing he gets the coffee comes back out and then there are new lyrics up on those areas because the song is continuing i mean i i love movies that 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 take apart the human soul and examine it but i really love movies that can go and they're like we're this is a movie and sit back and we're gonna and we're just gonna get you drunk for two hours and that was one of the the highest uh highs that i had had at a movie theater yeah it's like the best musical number in a non-musical film ever uh unlike the terrible musical number in the shape of water which i loved otherwise but uh i I don't want to talk about a film i want to talk about an mvp of the year which is michael stuhlbark so great in the post great in the shape of water astounding in call me by your name his speech that he has in the 11th hour of that film i think is just phenomenal really just cuts to the heart of the, the memory and the nostalgia of that film and what it's very, you kind of, it almost feels like it didn't really happen and it's unreal and that it's just what you wish a father would say to his son and it's just beautiful. Um, I love both of what you're saying. My thing with Baby Driver is um, I thought the love story was kind of underdeveloped. Like I, the girl was cute and worked in a diner, but I don't know her thing, anything about her. But um, the thing that stuck out to me about the scene you're talking about is 
I can always tell when there's no water in the coffee cups or no liquid <laughs> when they carry them. I'm like, there's nothing in that coffee cup. I really am like obsessed with that now with movies. And then I saw one the other night and I'm like, I think there's something in that cup. And so if I were still interviewing um, actors as much as I used to for magazines, I would start a campaign where they would have to sign a thing uh, that says they will never carry an empty cup, copy, coffee cup that's meant to be full. That they will always put something in it. Like, you know how, like, those people make politicians sign a thing that says, I'm not going to raise taxes or whatever? I'm going to start the coffee cup challenge, basically. Wow, this is something really worth getting behind. <laughs> I think I think it's important. <laughs> it's a little thing. No, because, I agree. No, but no. Look, you're talking about the most amazingly choreographed, thought-through, musical, perfect, performed everything. And I'm like, I don't think there was thing in that coffee like i should not be thinking that yeah you're, it does take you out of the movie have you noticed that or Absolutely. am i crazy no, i'm obsessed crazy. i admit i'm a little bit obsessed you're not crazy about it but to lose sleep over it's another but that's story. what i remember about that uh, scene uh, more uh, than the other things okay but i'm sure that it probably has to do with insurance that they can't have liquids because you spill them and people could fall and you, that I, I i bet that's why they don't do okay. then they would have never like been able that. to make leaving las vegas <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure they got away with a lot anyway more. yeah <laughs> The coffee cup challenge is, I think I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it a real thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, what else? I don't, I've written down, I've got all mine sort of covered. I have a couple left. We can well, wrap it up. Do you have more? I, I, I do have a few more, but I want to just talk about Call Me By Your Name because it's a movie I don't like. Yeah. Um, but the scene that Glenn was talking about with Michael Subar is amazing. And the scene after that where Timothy uh, Chalamet gets a phone call. Um, is is also incredibly powerful, and it almost makes the two hours before that somewhat bearable. Um, not quite, but the final shot of the movie, which won't say exactly what's in it um, because it's underplaying, and people should go see it, is that um, Timothy Chalamet is, is sitting in front of a fire, and it's shot from the pr- perspective of the fireplace, and for f- four minutes, you see something happen emotionally to him. That he, that he breaks apart and recovers and breaks apart and recovers and, bre- and he I think he experienced every single possible emotion that a human being could in that in those four minutes and it's it's maybe the best moment of acting that I've seen in all year even though I don't like the movie all that much. Um, that that moment was amazing. I I thought his whole performance was amazing because he didn't it didn't feel like he was acting. He just felt like he was that guy. And then I saw him in Lady Bird and I realized how. He seemed like a different person, and he doesn't look different. It just—I just think he's great. Yeah, I mean, watch him in an earlier film called *Miss Stevens* with uh, Lily Rabe, who plays a uh, drama teacher in a high school where she takes her kids to a, a kind of a drama exhibition, and he plays one of her students. And there's a hint of a like, are they love in love with each other? Is this a teacher-student type love affair? It's not really that, but he is so astounding in that film that I knew he was going to just break out. He knew he was going to be big. Well, yeah, he's great. That scene that you talk about at the end, Glenn, where where the father says that he's good. He uses the word good to describe him. And I think as a gay person, when you're coming out, you're hoping you can break even. You're you're afraid you're going to get bad. But good isn't on your... You don't don't expect your parent to say, say that you're good. And so when he says that, I could cry thinking about it. So yeah, it's but it's also for me, what was moving about that was the idea that that he 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 tells him in no uncertain terms that he was paying attention the whole time. 
Yeah. And, and that he saw him in pain and saw him on, at, at his highest and said, well, you got to let him go. And like Glenn said, it's, it's, it's the, the best you, you want to hope for for a parent that they're paying attention. Yeah, and when he calls his mother and says and it falls apart on the phone, that's so moving because I, I think as a gay person, you don't necessarily think you're lucky if you get parents that are invested in your rom- romantic emotions, or you know that 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 you've got some backup in that area. You don't think you do. So the fact that he was able to to fall apart like that and and have the support of his parents was really moving. Now, can we go out on this? Because it's yeah. probably going to win the Best Picture Oscar, and it's okay. not my favorite movie of the year. But three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri seems to have <coughs> a drive to get there, right? I do think it has one of the best lines of the year. Yeah. And it's the one that just excites me so much that I had to look it up so that I could write it down because I love the writing. Yeah. Uh, it's when a morning news reporter is standing outside the billboards reporting on it. Yeah. And Frances McDormand doesn't like what the reporter is saying, so she does a drive-by shout-out of her car. Yeah. And she says, I quote... Uh, because she's basically, the reporter's basically saying that this can put an end to this, you know, yeah. like the search for this killer. It's because this didn't put an end to shit, you fucking retard. This is just the fucking start. Why don't you put that on your Good Morning Missouri fucking wake up broadcast, bitch? And <laughs> she just spews it out. And, you know, it's just, you know, what will probably earn Francis McDormand the Oscar. I like this uh, filmmaker a lot. I love his plays, and I've seen a number of them on Broadway, and I. This is not. This is probably my least favorite of all the nominated movies. I don't. I like things about it, but it just didn't feel like it was telling me anything that felt like the truth about the world. Thank you. Um, it's very stylized and stagey, and it doesn't feel. And, right. but, but, and other things he's done have that same thing, and yet somehow, you at the end you're like that. That felt true emotionally, or something. This doesn't feel like that to me, and I. I, I it bums me out that so many people like it that it's going to win stuff. Yeah, it, it 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 felt like it was directed from the notes of like a, a fifteen year old kid that had just discovered cursing and smoking. Like it just it, it it's like there there are worthy topics about racism and and misogyny and sexual violence that are more than worthy topics, but his his attack plan was well let's just say something to like push the audience and then run away and giggle in the corner and yes. and once or twice to 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 get us sort of comfortable before the, he yanks the rug out which is what quentin tarantino would have done in that kind of situation i think uh w- would have been better but but he it's it's just spoiled and and angry and not it's like he never set foot in America. Lars von Trier made Dogville. He'll never come to America. That is a better American film than Three Boards could ever hope to be. Well, and also the director's wife was playing Woody Harrelson's wife, and she's British, and it's never explained. You know, it's supposed to be like this is Americana, and then the the director's wife is playing the wife. Like she took me out of the movie. There was and also like the line that you mentioned. He uses the word retard, and it's like you said. He's like, I'm going to say the thing that's on PC, and and that's because I'm the badass, and 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 you're going to love it. And I I would argue that that line would be just that moment would be just as funny without that word. But his brand is I'm the guy that pushes that stuff, and when it it, it, it uh, and I'm not I don't like the film because I'm offended by all that stuff. Um, I I just didn't fall for it. Can, or something. Can, can you bring it home so that I don't put my head through the wall after you guys leave? Because this is how we ended it. Oh no, I know. Is this? Uh, no, we'll put it. Well, I wrote down. I I. 
it's getting some year end acclaim, but I didn't see Mudbound for a long time because it felt very uh, like dirty and uh, it just didn't sound like a good time. Uh, and it's not; it's difficult, but it's really engrossing, like a novel. And I love that there's six characters that they focus on in these two families, and it's just rich. And it doesn't feel like this is happening, and then this is happening, and then this is happening. Uh, it feels a little um, episodic, and then just the way things come together at the end is so powerful. I don't think that's going to do it for Michael. I know how he feels yeah. about Bud so yeah. I'm going to put a cap on it. Yeah. Okay. Girls Trip. <laughs> Girls Trip. Woo! I was going to write that down. Tiffany Haddish just saying the word booty hole yeah. my whole year. I know. I that, loved it, too, that and line. The, the great, Such a charm. And the grapefruit scene, which I know gets hard to bet, but it's like, wow, she she really she really put her back into it. So well, let's, then we don't even have to go there with the zipline scene. <laughs> well, I love that the zipline scene where people pee their pants on a zipline, there was no attention to how would the pee really kind of squirt out. Maybe it would trickle a little or go. Not to water. No, we're going to put a water weenie up there <laughs> and it's going to be more water than could possibly be in Jada Pinkett Smith ever. And like, they just went for the gag and it made it more silly, the, the amount of water. Yeah. But I also liked that that movie had heart, and I liked that it was about friendship. And I liked that, that who was the lead girl? She was really good. The main, the um, Regina Taylor, is that her name? Regina Hall. Regina Hall. Um, that she had to decide between, am I, do I keep up the act and, and get rewarded, or do I tell the truth and be authentic? And let the chips fall. And I like that as a dilemma. It's a booty hole. It's a booty hole. Let me do one more. One yeah. More. One more. And it's a good one. It's a happy one. Yeah, do okay. it. Okay, okay, okay. So the, one of the biggest successes of last year, and deservedly so, was, was the movie Wonder Woman. And I want to talk about that. I know everybody's seen it, but, but I'd like to drive home the fact that it was nice to go into a movie and see a big Hollywood thing that was buoyant and exciting and happy and wonderful and really about love and trying to do something and change the world and it wasn't cynical and the no man's land sequence is is one of the jaw-dropping moments of 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 the the year if not in many years and i love it and i love you guys and thank you so much for having me i love that we did this thank you really seriously you too this was a pleasure um let me say this about wonder woman superhero movies for me Live or die on the banter because the effects are great, but we can see it, and at a certain point, it's overload. And the banter and the character interplay in Wonder Woman had a lot of charm. Chris Pine was really charming, and you know those those um, scenes seemed to get as much love and attention as the spectacular uh, CGI scenes. And there's a, a lot of purity to, to Gal Gadot's performance and a, yeah. lot of, a lot of truth and honesty, which you don't get a lot in those movies, but, but she just wasn't lying the whole time. And, like, it's, it's a superhero that we deserve right now and that we need. Um, it, it, it's funny, though, because it came out in, in, what, June? And then all of the stuff with the Me Too and all of that came... It's the same year, although Wonder Woman sort of amped people up for it you know like it, it's interesting uh, uh, in terms of timing well i mean sure i i don't know i mean i enjoyed the movie but i'm not sure i need it yeah <laughs> I, I love that too. i needed it i <laughs> don't need any superhero yeah i needed it and i was, I was happy that i got to pe- tell patty jenkins that so. i know but i couldn't go on such a positive note. i know i, I know, I know. down a little so if you want to read more of glenn's reviews uh, go to Glenn on Film on Tumblr. 
Glenn on Film on Tumblr. And Michael, do you write things on... I see your posts on, sometimes. On, on Facebook. I don't yeah. have a, my own thing. I should probably get that. But you can find me on Facebook. Last name D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y. And I'm on Twitter at M-J Darty D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y. Uh, 9.30. Um, Love it. So. And Glenn on Film, the Glenn is with two N's. That's right. Uh, two ends. Um, this has been really fun. I, there were times during this conversation where I actually felt like we were on sneak previews with Roger and Gene. Like, our next movie, like, some of the... And, but I felt like that because the, the, we were... Um, I felt like we were having smartish banter and uh, things to say. So it was a blast. It was a blast. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks to Glenn Gaylord and Michael Doherty for the uh, movie chat, and we will see you same time next year. All right. Uh, so this happened. I had a wedding to go to uh, by two of my good friends, Jeb Havens and Stephen Lee, who are past podcast guests. And uh, it was like a two-day thing. The first day was a very intimate ceremony. Uh, they rented this Airbnb in the Hollywood Hills. And it had this incredible view, and they just went and stood out on this little balcony by the pool and got married. And it was incredible. There was just, you know, a a small group of family and friends there. And I don't know, I was very touched and honored by it. It was like they... And then afterwards, people ate barbecue and got in the hot tub. It was so unfussy. And uh, everyone that I got to meet from their families uh, was wonderful. And it was just so special. And then the next day, they had a a bigger reception-type celebration. And I did my first live cast wedding... uh, series of interviews. So I interviewed like people that were coming to the wedding. I created a special observation deck of cards uh, for Jeb and Steven with Jeb and Steven's specific questions on it. So it's a whole sort of side part to my LifeCast business called LifeCast Weddings. Um, so that was cool. Uh, now I got to figure out how to put it all together. But it was it was a fun, fun event with some really wonderful people and I'm glad I got to talk to a bunch of them and, and capture their thoughts and feelings. I also, speaking of feelings, I just want to say that Gus Kenworthy is delicious. I love his every, every public pronouncement because he's like really stepping up and representing, but he's also got a sense of humor and he's yummy and he's the best. He's super great. So that's exciting for the Olympics. Um, I guess that's about it. That's enough, right? Uh, thank you for listening. Um, check out DennisAnyone.net, and uh, we'll see you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye! <laughs>